0: Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon, a true proletarian revolution. If this is your first time tuning in, I'd like to say thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, I would love to hear what you think about the show. So there's a few ways that you could, you know, let me know. You can either go onto my social media, and DM me there any ideas, any uh, critiques, concerns, questions, etc. Uh, you could rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or you could email me uh, by reaching out to indefenseofliberation at gmail.com. No caps or spaces. Um, but, anyways, folks, if this is you tuning back in, what's up? You know what it is. I hope you're well. Hope everyone is safe, staying healthy, staying sane. Um, I am so excited to introduce for this episode a, um, you know, someone whose reputation definitely precedes themselves, um, someone who has been doing an incredible amount of work uh, in many different spheres, trying to lead the cause for uh, revolutionary and scientific socialism, the call for Marxism-Leninism, and also for, um, you know, revolutionary hope in the future. Uh, Our guest today is none other than Luna Oi. I am so excited to have her on the show to be able to speak with her and connect with her and build some relationships here. Um, This is an episode I've been really looking forward to, so I hope you folks enjoy it. Um, But without further ado, uh, thank you for tuning in. Let's get into it with uh, Luna Oi. Well, hello. It's very incredible to speak with you, my friend. Um, Would you like to possibly introduce yourself for folks who might not know of your content?
1: Uh, Thank you so much for having me. It is uh, my honor to talk to you. I am Luna. I'm a Vietnamese communist born and living in Vietnam. I have my channel named Luna Oi on YouTube and I usually make videos where I teach you how to cook Vietnamese food and also um, uh, make, like, uh, traveling vlogs. And, of course, I talk about Vietnam mostly, like, political stuff and history, too. And, yeah, again, it's so nice to have a chance to talk to you in this show.
0: Well, I appreciate that. I um, have been watching your videos since, like, the pandemic started. Um, It was one of the channels that I got into that really brought me towards, like, revolutionary communism instead of like reformism and liberalism i was really into like the bernie sanders campaign and um Mm. folks like that um but it was your channel uh (laughs) from rev left um and other people like uh the red nation that do incredible work that was able to get me past that uh uh wall that i feel like we're seeing a lot of people get stuck at considering the uh inter-imperialist and global conflicts that are waging all over the world um as uh you know leftists um are exposing themselves uh left and right as um puppets of you know state department information misinformation and um what we might call you know chauvinism so it's incredible to build this connection with you because on the show you know Uh, both yours and uh, others that I listen to, you really talk about internationalism and the importance of building ties between the working and exploited people of nations all over the world. So I'm very happy, like I said, to be able to connect with you. Um, And uh, I think now is a a great time to really be talking about, you know, internationalism, about revolution and about the necessity to really raise the consciousness really be spending a lot of time uh, doing research studying and uh, politically educating our our friends our family members our co workers and stuff but you know this is a difficult thing so before we get into the questions I sent over I usually ask folks who come on the show if they would like to talk about their own kind of uh, consciousness, uh, raising that they've experienced, you know, how did you make it to the the point in politics that you've made it to towards revolutionary communism, towards scientific socialism? Would you maybe want to give a little round yes. off about how you made your way? Yeah, that would be incredible.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, uh, first of all, I am very happy to hear that you got, you got from the Bernie Sanders gate into this space, and welcome to the again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for I'm inviting me. <laughs> um, uh,
1: yes, about my, um, <clears throat> my uh, memories and my experience and how I got into this yesterday, I got to say that like, I was born in the nine, in the 90s in Vietnam, when Vietnam was still under the US sanction. So I was born in extreme poverty so I, I understand very well how the sanctions and how, you know, after the war, the post-war time would affect somebody's life like that. My father is a communist. He actually, like, he joined the Communist Party in 1970s when he was in the USSR studying. And then after that, he spent 10 years working in uh, Laos, Su Uh, Laos build like roads for free for them this is like uh, an an aid that Vietnam had Laos all through like 1980s and 1990s so my dad is not an active member now He just like a retirement man love sitting at home and reading news and listening to like communist YouTube channels but he had like a very I can say like glorious youth <laughs> <laughs> that he really devoted his life to help our comrades in Laos and he did study in the USSR. So yes, I grew up in that kind of environment. And then when I was a little girl, I I I I listened to the story of one of my grandpa who died in the Tet Offensive in 1968. He fought for communism. He was the, the soldier in the NLF, the National Liberation Front of Vietnam. Uh, the other grandpa of mine, even though he started as a rich landlord in the 1930s and 1940s, but in the 1950s, when he had the land reforms, uh, there's a whole story about this, but, um, and I had many videos talking about this, but long story short. He, after his land and his house was redistributed to the poor, peasants in the village, um, he just like his whole family just started living normally in the same village until the day he died and he was the one who taught me how our Vietnamese history, you know, he, he, he told me lessons and historical stories of Vietnam and he taught me how to love this country and he never ever even like said that I should hate Vietnam or communism for what they done to him but I mean like my whole family is a so great environment for me to grow up proud to be a vietnamese route of our history and learn about the struggles of our own people but the thing is that like i did not really care very much about politics until in 2019 when i started my channel at first i just wanted to have a fun channel when i can where i can I just like teach you how to cook vietnamese food and make like fun like traveling blog, blogs but like the moment I started that channel a lots, lots and lots of people especially people from the west uh, because they know that I'm from Vietnam and living here so they keep asking me a lot of questions about Vietnam and lots of the questions I like, come from like you know like you know like pure ignorance about my country I, I don't blame them just like they don't know much about my country at all and that was the moment I found out like holy shit uh, I do need to educate people <laughs> 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 and the thing is that like, I also met a lot of racism and anti communist talking point because like Vietnam is like somehow to them like an authoritarian secret the, the place where like Vietnam being all horrible barbaric people or something like that so, like, holy hell I so it's bad.
0: yeah it's very bad.
1: So, yeah, I like uh, I, I have to walk into this space now. I, I know that I am going to deal with a lot of troubles because I have to talk about this stuff. But I feel like I have to talk about this. Or oh, yeah, was like, I don't know, too much misinformation about Vietnam that I need to educate people from. So that's yeah. So that's it. That's my life journey.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that with us. It was uh, a lot to watch with like uh, different streamers and individuals on Twitter that I see time and time again, kind of tearing into you and other, you know, uh, creators like Hakim and people yeah. across the world who are trying simply to put out there: this is the world that we live in. This is the world we're trying to build. And of course, you know, as is. Uh, natural for uh, people living in imperial core countries. the propaganda misinformation, it is given to them in a way that is meant to connect their own personhood, their own identity, to this identity of Americanism, of imperialism, capitalism. So when you have people across the world who are actively pointing out, the contradictions with this ideology the contradictions with this reality it's almost as if they take it as a personal attack and then it becomes <laughs> an effort to it's, it's a manifestation of a guilty consciousness because they don't actually fucking know what they're talking about and mm-hmm. so when they're challenged their only action their only thing that they can go to is anger And then you have folks, you know, absolutely tearing you to shreds, sending their subscribers to, you know, attack your channel and your partner's channel. And it's just like shows clearly what it is about for them versus what it is about for you. It's very clear that you took a channel that could have been whatever you wanted it to be and you cultivated in a way so as to shine a light on the beautiful country that is Vietnam and your experience there. And I think that that's incredible. I think it's very admirable and it's obviously done a lot for my own education and others that I know. Um, so I thank you for that. It's it's important work, but I hope that in this time, you know, that you are getting the support that you need, that you're able to have comrades that will uplift you and that you're able to keep that revolutionary hope going. Cause you're doing a great job and amidst all of that bullshit uh, you're far better off than any of those assholes will ever be, except for when they actually become CIA informants and get well-paid.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for supporting; It means a lot to me, yes.
0: Of course. But um, speaking of, you know, you spoke about your grandfather teaching you incredible history, both of them, your father. Um, so, you know, going into some of the questions we wanted to discuss, I heard recently your episode back in November with East is a Podcast. Um, where you went over the history of the Vietnamese revolution is, and, uh, he, the, uh, co-host, uh, included the audio from some documentaries that discussed the history as far back as the 1860s, 1850s, I think. So that was great. But I was wondering, you know, this first question here, I was wondering if you would be willing to give a broad, uh, look at the revolution, the fight against colonialism, and uh, the fight for uh, Vietnamese liberation, because um, I think it's important to, to hear about today.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I said many times already, but uh, like a um, lot of Westerners mostly just know about Vietnam in our modern time, you know, in our modern history, especially the Vietnam War. But actually Vietnam is a country with thousands of years of history and we've been fighting and struggling for our independence and self-determination since like two, three thousand years ago. And um, the thing is that like Vietnam, I, I, I would jump a, a little bit to the early modern time because it's more related to your question. Uh, Vietnam uh, in the 18th, late 18th century and early 19th century we were invaded, we were conquered by French. And they went to Vietnam and they attacked us and they won and they um, forced colonialism on Vietnam. At the time they still kept the king as like a puppet. But actually like Vietnamese people at the time was like colonized by uh, French people from like 18th, 19th century. And they were staying in Vietnam all the way until like early 20th century during like World War I and World War II. Now, the life of Vietnamese people at that time was really terrible. There are two main policies that French colonialists um, imposed on Vietnam. The first policy was to, they they try to stop us from receiving any education. It is the policy that with the purpose of the making Vietnamese people to, 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 to be uninformed, uneducated, So it would be easier for them to colonize and control us. At the same time, they did another policy like to um, demagogy. means that uh, on the one hand they, they to stop us from having education. On the other hand, they taught us something like pseudoscience about race, you know, racism, and how they taught us like actually French people, white people are superior. And smarter, and they come here to civilize us. You know the same stuff that they white people have been doing for like non-white people all over the world. So Vietnamese people, for more than a hundred years, we were horribly exploited and enslaved by French people, French colonialists. So all the, and it was so bad that we had so many resistance attempts. Having many revolutionary attempts, but they all of them failed, and finally, until the the day that Ho Chi Minh decided to go out of Vietnam in 1911 to go to the West and try to find a way to liberate our country, and he encountered communism on his way out outside of Vietnam, and then, and yeah, he brought communism here in Vietnam and taught communism to Vietnamese people. So in 1945. Vietnam at that time, we were still under the yoke of slavery of French colonialism. At the same time, you know, the World War II, the fascist Japanese went to Vietnam and tried to exploit Vietnamese people even more to make up for the loss in the war. So at that time in Vietnam, both French colonialists and Japanese fascists here in the country Theoretically, the Friends were supposed to de-weaponize fascists, you know, so they can take over Vietnam once again. But in fact, they worked together. They worked together to even double and triple exploit Vietnamese people. They took everything they could back to their home country because both countries, France and Japan, needed to make up for their loss in the war, and they didn't give a shit about Vietnamese people. They just took everything like it was impossible. It, it was horrible that like Vietnamese people at that time, over 2 million Vietnamese people died of starvation. And my grandpa and grandma lived through that time and it was horrible. My grandma had to bear like malnutrition until the day she died. When we, you know, after in the funeral, we cremated her. Mostly we we wanted to keep her bones, but like mostly of her bones just turned into dust because she had to bear go through like the severe malnutrition when she was a little girl and it never got like better for her. So just a side story about that. In the day of August 1945, when the, this is a, a matter of like, how I, I explain it? It's very important that Vietnamese communists, we had just a few days to have a revolution or else it would never succeed. On August 1945, it was a time when fascist Japan was getting weaker. They were getting weaker. The French colonialists, they are still sending more troops to Vietnam. So actually in Vietnam, there were not that many French colonialist armies yet. And America and British is also still discussing about de-weaponizing and so They haven't sent like soldiers to Vietnam yet. So in that moment, in that time, in of the, just a few days, the enemies, all kind of the enemies was in the weakest phase And Ho Chi Minh and our few thousand Vietnamese communists took that chance and successfully had a revolution in a matter of uh, 10 days or something, or or 14 days, and we did it. And we had uh, our own independence and self-determination on September 2nd, 1945. Now, here's the thing. Another question is that, like, how could Vietnam, started from a few thousand communists, can have a successful revolution? It's actually not that complicated. You know that I said Vietnamese people was we were bearing like starvation at that time. So the very first thing the Vietnamese communists did was to go to the stories, the rice stories owned by French and Japanese. We went there and we stole rice and we redistributed rice to millions of Vietnamese people, to hungry Vietnamese people. That was how we got the support from millions of Vietnamese people at the time. We didn't even know, 90% of Vietnamese people didn't even know how to read and write. We didn't even know what communism meant. But we got the support, but they still support communists because communists were the only one that gave them food to eat. So that brought to the sense that like, in order to, a lot of Westerners, Western communists asked me how to get the support from the mass. And I told them this story. I hope hopefully they will like, the thing that will get people to support you is not like some fancy book that you show them. The mass will care about who's gonna help them when they need help. And that is very important. That is why I've been calling people. If they can go out there, organize, do mutual aid, help people and from that people will know about you people will will learn what you advocate for and from then you can have a people's support so yeah that's the story of our revolution
0: <laughs> that's incredible my friend and every time I hear you speak about it because I've heard you guest spot on a few other shows and of course I watch your content you bring up like uh you know new things and it's always interesting to learn more but One of the I mean, one of the dopest things that the communists of many countries do uh, when they are able to, you know, liberate themselves is they they take from those who have been stealing, those who have been exploiting and oppressing and give it to those who have been exploited and oppressed. And it it doesn't matter what, you know, communist text you read. It doesn't matter what, you know, uh, communist party you're reading statements from. The very clear point is that you are meant to fight for the exploited masses, give the exploited masses the, the tools, the uh, needs that they have, and fight for their liberation. And that's very clearly what the communists in Vietnam did, and it's, it's very clearly what their objective was. And, you know, you commonly hear, uh, like you said, Western leftists really not understanding this, really not understanding, like, it's not about being able to win an argument it's not able it's not about being like the biggest personality in the room it's about being consistent it's about consistently showing up and it's about consistently giving the people again the tools and the support that they need to liberate themselves because ultimately our goal is not yet another system of quote unquote authoritarianism If you actually understand socialism, if you actually understand, you know, communism and revolution, you know that what we're trying to do is overthrow an exploiting class and put in its place the exploited class. And so that the people can actually decide for themselves, control and administrate the different uh, organs of power that are necessary to fight for their survival. Now, of course, in a a system that isn't based on the exploitation of one over another, it's not difficult to feed people. It's not difficult to educate them because when you're not, A, fighting by yourself, isolated, alone, and in a way that is ineffective, and B, actually helping people, people get behind it. And then you have a movement. And that's what we need to see. We don't need individual parties or individuals going around and trying to be like prophets for communism. We need organizers. We need activists. And we need community members that stand with the community. Um, And, you know, in talking about this, this isn't commonly what we uh, deal with, especially on the Internet, where both of us, you know, are and spend a decent amount of time. Um, so I wanted to ask you, you know, you've mentioned a few things, uh, having to do with interactions you've had with Western leftists, uh, contradictions that they can't seem to get over and, uh, issues in their, uh, materialist understanding. Um, and I would love to hear from you, you know, what are some of the issues that you, you've faced and what are some things that you see having, you know, now engaged with, uh, these spaces for a few years, What is it that you really find needs to be done or can be done in these spheres to try to move out of this ignorant and uh, attacking phase where we're coming at one another?
1: Yeah. The thing that I think that is the biggest obstacle for leftists from the imperial core especially uh, is uh, the first thing is false consciousness and the second thing is individualism this is a thing that's been poisoning your mind your whole life and and you really need to 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 challenge that if you really want to change and to go out there and do some change to the real world about false consciousness in the sense that like you still because i don't blame you 100 percent because the I understand that because it's because of the education system over there, the indoctrination that you've learned your whole life, you've been fed your whole life. That, like, you somehow still believe that um, false consciousness is a sense of like you somehow you still believe that communism is bad, communism is authoritarianism, and capitalism is just a nature system, the nature law that we cannot change it, but we the only thing, to, the best thing we can do is to reform it or work within the system. Now that is very dangerous thought that we revolutionaries need to fight against. And another kind of false consciousness is that they, um, it relates to racism and sexism too. Somehow a lot of Western leftists, especially the cis male ones still, deep inside their mind, maybe they don't even recognize it, but deep inside them, they still undermine the voice of non-white people, of marginalized people a lot. Like I am as a woman of color in the global South, and I have to face with this kind of mindset like 24-7. And it is a very big blo- problem. So I've been attacked by a lot of people calling themselves leftists. But all they did was just like, you know, spread like sexist and racist talking point and try to dismiss my knowledge, my life experience and my voice just because of my skin color, just because I have an accent. And that is the thing that I find it very painful. And I do desperately want you to examine to look back and try to destroy it destroy that kind of mindset and the thing is that like a lot of people been i've my personal experience are like i've been attacked by a lot of people instead of go and attack my my actual point my actual argument i would love people to do that because like i am just a human being And I could be wrong, you know? And I would love for people to like really engage with my argument and trying to like make it better. And I really want to learn from people. But the sad thing is that like most of my attacks come from like bigotry, misogyny, and treat me as a sex object and like make fun of my accent and I just straight up dismiss all of my talking point just because I'm a Vietnamese. So it's, it's, it's painful. And I don't know, many times I even thought that like, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to expose myself to this kind of attacks and harassment from like these really terrible people? But I, 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 I think again, and say that like, okay, generations of Vietnamese people fought and died for Vietnam today. And I I know that I'm doing a good thing because I'm trying to educate people. I'm trying to call out of that racism, chauvinism, sexism, misogyny, and bigotry. And I will keep doing this. I will keep doing this no matter how horrible they attack me because because I know that there are people out there who need my help and there are people that I'm actually helping and all kind of attacks doesn't it will not stop me from doing this so I mean I do, I do say that it uh, I mean like sometimes I have to get off the online
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Days. Definitely.
1: Yeah, for my mental health, but I always come back and fight back. But I mean, that is a thing that 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 I think that the biggest problem. Individualism too. Like every man for himself. And this is a very dangerous mindset too, because we hu we as humanity, we are social people. We need society to survive and only together we can Make the world better, but capitalism—they—they they always like want to uphold individualism because it is easier for them to divide and conquer. And communism, socialism is opposed to it. Socialism, communism call people to share, to care, to join each other into the same struggle, the class struggle. Okay. And, and yeah, fight against the individualist mindset is also very important. As uh, the best example you can look at this pandemic, how Vietnam fights against it as a whole society compared to what's going on in the West where every man for himself, everybody just do not give a shit about other people. And everybody just like protest to have the right to, 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 to not wear masks oppose, mandate, something that like it's really selfish and it kills people and I hope that you can learn like, lessons from this and to fight against this false consciousness and then individualism.
0: You know, you put some very incredible points out there and it shows that like what they're fighting for versus what we're fighting for Um yeah we can never be defeated. The people can never lose. They can be stopped. They can be slowed down. They can be yeah. held aside, but they will never stop fighting. Oppressed people will never stop fighting for their freedom. And, you know, and speaking about the the, the pandemic and the hyper-individualism and kind of the, um, uh, the false consciousness, as you said, um, one thing that, I have had a hard time, you know, really being able to be good at explaining to people is especially, you know, given the nature of our state here in uh, the, the West, you know, the bourgeois, um, capitalist controlled imperialist state. Um, yeah. When it comes to, for example, information mm. on the pandemic, on the vaccine, but also as we're seeing with the intensification all across the world in Ukraine, in Yemen, in Palestine, misinformation everywhere. Yep. And I think that what's incredible—I I guess that's not the right word. What's what's devastating, to be honest, is the level to which that propaganda and that misinformation seeps into people. Like we were talking about earlier, like how it almost becomes a persona. It it Mm -hmm. melds itself to people, but it also eliminates their capacity to, as, uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, but uh, he's a a writer out of Canada, a Maoist, uh, J Mufawad Paul, JMP. He's on Mm -hmm. Twitter. He does uh, some great uh, organizing and writing, but he talks about like the necessity to think thought, like be able to critically analyze the world around you to use materialism, you know? It's, yes. it's almost impossible to bring these ideas to folks because they have no like conception for it. Like I was talking to my coworker about the dual nature, the contradictions that are kind of contained in this Ukrainian conflict, trying to break down like um, 80 plus years of history between the region and the USSR, because I've read quite a bit about it, but also like the, eight, the last eight years, since, yeah. you know, the Minsk agreement and the 14,000 people who've died, the one to two million people who've been displaced. And it was almost like he couldn't understand that that mattered because
1: <clears throat> those people
0: guess. are or Russian. You know what I mean? Like it was like a foreign concept to him that this war happening miles away had any real connection to his day to day life. And the one thing I try to center in my conversations, and it's difficult because I don't always try to focus on the US, but it is where I live. Yeah. Trying to understand that we live within an empire. Everything that we do on a day-to-day basis, the food that we you know, eat, the clothes that we wear, the entertainment that we watch, is all predicated on a system where billions of people globally are suffering in many different ways every single day so that we can have, you know, Nike clothing or so that we can have um, all this bullshit, you know, commodities throughout the pandemic rather yeah. than turning factories over to make oxygen, to make masks, to make ventilators, et cetera. No, we gotta have the newest iPhone, you know? so it's it's so dangerous the level of propaganda and that's why we you know you yourself uh have obviously dedicated so much of your time to breaking that down and really being able to help people see the reality around them um Mm -hmm. and and that's not always easy as you've said it's it's led you to to many awful interactions with people online but there are difficulties that lead to contradictions, even among, you know, the left, of course. And there are, you know, certain topics like, of course, what's going on right now in Russia and Ukraine, uh, China, um, your country as well, as well as Cuba, Venezuela, Bolivia. These are all um, yeah. nations that are fighting for uh, self-determination, for socialism, for sovereignty, in one way or another. And you can see in real time. Uh, people's inability to understand what this means for colonized and imperialized people to be able to take power for themselves. So I have one of these questions here. Um, It says, how can we use this current time to denounce imperialist war, but also to bring the attention of the masses to the reality behind conflicts, behind war? So would you maybe want to speak to like how we can explain these things to people, how we can kind of break down um, the root of this capitalist and imperialist exploitation to folks who really can't grasp at what we're trying to say to them? Like, how do we make it uh, understandable? How do you, for example, have these conversations?
1: Yeah, Um, this is a very big question and also a very important one. And I thought about this a lot. And my my solution is this. <clears throat> In order to be able to understand the imperialism, the war that's are going on today, is that first you have to have a basic understanding of history and dialectical materialism. So I would not directly jump into the, the arguing with the, the argument with each other because I know for a fact that they are incapable of having a comprehensive and historical viewpoint when they talk about this thing, because the thing is that like um, imperialism, capitalism, wars, all of those things, they are happening and they are developing every day and still developing like that. So like it is really hard for people to wrap their head around that kind of idea. So I usually, I will have a, to focus on people to teach them from like, that's why I'm doing my project right now is to teach about dialectical materialism. Dialectical materialism in short is a system, a framework that like a universal framework that you can use it to collect information in this world, and then how to analyze it, how to process it in real life, so you can come up with the conclusion that is the closest to the reality. In order to have, understand this kind of framework, universal framework, there are two important points that you have to get before you have any conclusion that this is a comprehensive viewpoint. And historical viewpoint. So, for example, when you want to learn about my country, Vietnam, okay, first, you have to learn as many aspects about Vietnam as possible, such as Vietnam. Okay, when we talk about Vietnam, we have to talk about our economy, of course, and our culture, our language, our people, and then our history. Learn about that. And then, <clears throat> to understand Vietnam as like the broad concept, understand the as many aspects of uh, about us as possible. Uh, next we learn have to learn about our history, you know, how Vietnam developed from a feudal society into a colony and then a semi-colony and then into Vietnam today, calling ourselves a Marxist in this nation. Only after that you can have a broader understanding of our country, Vietnam. The thing that I think that people in the West like Right now is this dialectical materialism. The culture over there, especially like talk about the U.S., because you're from the U.S., the culture over there to me is like a react culture, a reactionary culture. In a sense, that like, whenever you encounter a news, a piece of news, you don't spend time and think, to think about it, to investigate, learn about it. You just immediately react to that news, and then after that, you move to the next news and you react to that. So looking at that culture from outside perspective, like from me, you do not have a coherent viewpoint at all because you you there's no critical thinking in your society, right. life, generally speaking. You no know, critical thinking. You don't investigate, you don't learn, you don't Want to have a comprehensive historical viewpoint before you open your mouth. You just react, react, and react. That is why I look at you from outside perspective. Like it's like a bunch of babies, you know, like with like pure ignorance. But everybody, but that babies has so strong individualist mindset. that like everybody want to talk. Everybody want to have a text. Everybody want to everybody to listen to their argument to their voice. It's like a chaos society where like and everybody thinks that they should be should be the, the top leader of their sphere. Like wow like to me like wow like Mao said like decades ago no investigation, no right to speak. But many of you they're so ignorant but yet so arrogant. And they just like you to I mean this is a big problem that we need to fight again to fight against it. And yes, dynamic materialism and focus on studying history and learn to be humble and learn to shut your mouth before you investigate and before you like really know at least the basic, basic concept of what's going on today. So only after that, you can maybe have some right to speak about things that you actually investigated.
0: Yeah, I, um, I would like to offer up an example here um, to really kind of tie the point forward. Um, when I was, you know, really being brought into the organizing sphere, like I had spent uh, about a year and a half, two years of the pandemic, like reading, really diving into Marxism, diving into history and stuff like that. And then I got to a point where I was like, well, you know, it's great to have these books and folks such as yourself and plenty of others really made it clear in, in what you talked about that these ideas don't just exist in the abstract, but ultimately need to be tested in the reality. They need exactly. to be tested against reality. Yes. Um, and so when I began getting into the organizing sphere, of course, there's very few organizations here in the United States that I think are worth joining, to be honest um however i do think that it's important to join organizations um i think that at the end of the day if you can be a part of an organization that has you know relations that has connections that has any kind of power uh it is important that you do so and that you use that power and that connection to be able to help people Um, because it's much easier to do so within an organization than it is alone that's my personal belief but I think also when I was getting into this sphere, I was starting to hear a lot of the, you know, attacks on these parties from certain, you know, people who refer to themselves as leftists, um, folks who also had, um, you know, maybe some genuine negative experiences or negative uh, ideas about, you know, for example, the PSL, the DSA and other political parties that folks in uh, the U.S. will know of. Um, and then I began to get into also some of the, uh, you know, scandals and incidents that had happened within these parties. So I was talking to a comrade of mine who's in Brazil right now, and, Mm -hmm. um, I was talking to him and I was like, I don't know if I can join, you know, the PSL because I hear about this. I hear about that. I don't, I really don't think I can be in there. And he said something to me that really struck me. And I think that is important that people realize, and he said, why is it so important that you be the one to know? Why is it so important that you have to be the one who's speaking out on this, that you have to have this voice out here? You have to be the leading, you know, uh, mouthpiece for whatever this is. Do your investigation. Listen to the party and do whatever research you can. But it's not about being um, out in front of everybody. It's not about being the face that, that's, you know, um, popular. It's more about actually understanding what's going on and like you said being able to make a, a a critical and conscious decision to deal with the reality in front of us because another thing that folks will do is they'll educate themselves into a corner where they believe that if you just hand person hand a person a book the revolution's going to start <laughs> and it's important to understand that you got to you got to really like Do things the way you do anything else. You can't look at, you know, uh, a bag of groceries and know, you know, I know how to make a recipe. I've read all these books. So snap my fingers. I got a meal in front of me. No, you got to take what you've read in the recipe book. You got to take the knives. You got to take the pots and pans and you got to make the meal. And then you find out whether or not you really know what the fuck you're talking about.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe you will cook a horrible meal, but maybe you will cook a different meal. But I mean, you only know if you cook it.
0: (laughs) And you'll know better for the next time if you really do screw up that, hey, maybe I didn't need so much of this or maybe I shouldn't have kept it in the oven for so long. You understand? It's like,
1: exactly.
0: uh, this is a science. You know, folks talk about the science that is Marxism and the experimental nature of like, actual revolutionary theory because we understand that things like you know uh electoralism especially under capitalism and imperialism within a bourgeois quote unquote democracy or under colonialism and imperialism in you know nations that are exploited it it, it's not the avenue by which we will liberate ourselves and we also know that it's not just through ideas or hope um that we will find our freedom you know i have family who are extremely religious and so they believe you know which is perfectly fine um they believe that continuously praying and and reading scripture and going to church that will bring what needs to come not you know going out and feeding people not going out and you know helping to organize clothing drives or helping to transport people who you know, need housing to uh, shelters in place like that. No, we're going to give 10% of our income to this church and we're going to pray. And that's, that's, us changing the world. But that was just a rant because I talked to my parents recently, but mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, uh, I wanted to also talk about, you know, uh, speaking of which the difference between government structures and, and states that, talk about that have this rhetoric of democracy, freedom, liberty, and, and justice versus, you know, states, uh, governments, and uh, especially movements that put their words into action. And in doing so, I wanted to ask if maybe you would speak about a few projects you mentioned earlier about how the, the government has handled COVID. Uh, maybe how your local government or movements and projects that have happened within Vietnam have helped to bring socialism forward. Because we spoke yeah. about, you know, uh, getting the rice and everything like that, like actual praxis. Would you like to, to speak about that a bit?
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. The thing is that, like, I say I, I, I want you to understand that the system, the government system in Vietnam is very, very different from the system, the state system over there in your country, especially if you're from the US, in the sense that like, I know that you distrust your government so much. And I understand why, because the government haven't done anything to help you. That's why you like the government over there is like something that, like, yes, exactly, like they're exploiting you and oppressing you. The thing is that like the government in Vietnam is different because. Uh, believe it or not, we had a successful revolution, <laughs> and we won against colonialism and imperialism. And we had the government uh, by the people, of the people, by the people, and for the people, in the sense that, like, despite all the misformation you heard, like Vietnam is authoritarian, no human rights whatsoever, uh, blah blah blah. But like, um, when the pandemic happened, and I, I had many videos talking about this, and I show you like the actual footage and evidence for this, but this is how we work. When the Vietnamese when the the pandemic uh, started, uh, we had like go to had had to go to national lockdown, right? And just last year, I me I, I had to stay inside my house for a month without going out like at all, not even go out of my door. And how to deliver food? It's like it's just simple like this: the local government. First, local government will like get free food for people and distribute free food for people. At the same time, the global government also appear donors, you know, farmers and anybody who has food, like like, appear everybody to go donate food and to the global government, government will redistribute those food to people. And also like, if I want to buy anything, I just write down into a piece of paper put it on our door, and then volunteer will go there and pick up that uh, piece of paper and then go to the glo- uh, grocery store for us with the food that we do it. It's, it's just like the society here from the very grassroots level. that we work together, the people and the local government, we work as one entity because we trust each other. People will donate money, clothes, medicine and their time to the local government because we've been we chose that the local government will be the one who knows who are in need. And they will they have this the network system that they can redistribute those things to people who are in need. And I was the one who actually lived in that kind of system. So this is a thing that like we it comes from collectivism and socialism because we trust. First, we trust the lower government. Second, we care for, our, for other people and we are willing to sacrifice a little bit of our comfort to save other people's life. So like we, okay, we wear masks, we wash our hands, we keep social distancing and we do not protest. Against those things because we know that okay I I am I'm I'm wearing glasses and I hate it when I have to wear mask because like, it just make my glasses foggy the whole day. Yeah, but I'm willing to wear it because there are people out there who if I don't wear mask I can't give COVID to them or I can't have COVID from those people and if I just wear my freaky masks, I can save like dozens of people. And like, even if I can just say one people, isn't that worth it? Save a human life? Please just wear your fucking mask and wash your hand and keep social distancing. It's not even that difficult, it's not even that hard. Sacrifice a little bit of your own comfort, okay? So we can save people. So everybody in my city, a million people in my city, when the city announced that everybody stay in your house for a month, so we can deal with this. We hated it. Like nobody wants to stay fucking inside their house a month doing nothing. But we still agree to do it because, okay, this is good for the society because we care for other people. What kind of asshole who opposed to this? Because this is a global pandemic. What, like selfish ass, ass. You must be a selfish asshole if you like oppose against this. So the whole society of Vietnam is like that. And the things been going on in Vietnam is supposed to be the, the common thing, you know, that every country should follow. And if the whole world follow this kind of thing, the symbols that as this, the pandemic should have been gone already. We, sh- we should not have been talking about this still to this day. But I mean, this is just a dream because it's, impossible for capitalist countries especially the imperial court to act the same way that we did because the capitalist has the money where they are so strong
0: yeah and there's there's so much to go on on what you talked about like i'll give a counter example which i've mentioned on my show which is something that i tried to do in my local area to help organize for the pandemic so one of the local like nonprofits was given a grant to go around and do surveys to see, this was very early in the pandemic when the vaccine still had not come out. It was still in trials, where we went around, we asked people, you know, would you get a vaccine? I, inter- first of all, a few things I would like to specify. The grant was so small that we only were able to do surveys for two weeks, mm. which means I only spoke to 400 people. Mm. There is, in my, you know, Area, like my region, there's 185,000 people. I spoke to 400. Out of those 400, 380 said no, they would not get a vaccine. Wow. Um, many of whom, not for nothing, had very vastly different reasons. You know, I spoke with folks who, for example, one of whom had had an actual botched malpractice suit where they uh, had lost feeling in one of their legs that had nothing to do with COVID, nothing to do with vaccines, it had to do with the botched surgery. But because of that, they had fallen down the rabbit hole of being extremely against the medical field. Um, and so they went on a very long rant about the fact that this is uh, a ploy, you know what I'm saying, to, to go after people to further exploit them. And the majority of folks just had different forms of misinformation. And I, I spoke to the people I was walking around with, because to be honest, they didn't seem like they really cared. Um, they were like, okay, this person doesn't want to get a vaccine next. You know, they didn't really feel like talking, which fine. I I didn't really enjoy many of the conversations I had with folks, but at the same time, like it was clear that none of these people like came to these conclusions themselves, like Mm -hmm. all of the folks who are out here doing protests out here you know, doing these convoys of trucks in uh, Canada, what is present there is the seed that capitalism and imperialism has been planting for their entire lives. And it is starting to blossom and it's starting to become the force and the mass of armed people that, fascism requires outside of its um legal forms to assert its domination to be able to put down resistance and to be able to uh put on this ploy of uh anti-establishment anti-capitalism to some extent and uh front it as some kind of um working class you know movement and of course As we know, historically, this is the seed by which fascism took hold in Italy, in Japan, in Germany, and all over the world, things that we wouldn't normally consider fascism, like, I don't know, colonialism and imperialism, that also got its seed from these necessary forces within society that were fighting for their control, fighting for their domination, their centralization of power and wealth accumulation. And it's clear who is benefiting from these things. It's not the people that are out on the convoys. It's not the people who aren't getting vaccines and dying. It's the, you know, corporations, it's the, the companies, it's the capitalists and the imperialists that are benefiting. And so what we're trying to do, and obviously what your government is very adamant about, is bringing everyone to a conscious and organized enough level that they can approach the pandemic economic inequality racism patriarchy in a way that is suitable to actually eradicating these issues not allowing them to fester and and go into peaceful you know lulls and then come out into contradictions but actually eliminating these problems and so it's very impressive hearing what you and the people of vietnam have been able to build been able to do um And it's incredible to think about how far we have to go in the world. But I think that, as I said before, if we look to Palestine, if we look to regions in Latin America like Cuba, like um, Nicaragua, if we look, of course, to Vietnam, it's clear that when people are given the ability to lead their lives and their destinies and their governments towards a really united and, and quote unquote progressive, you know, uh, development. Beautiful things can come, and I think it's important that we understand that that's that's really the base, the the center of all this is the relationships, the organization, and the actual dedication to building a socialist future. These last two questions, if you're down for it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure.
0: Would you like to say anything given what I had, you know, just ranted about there? (laughs)
1: I'm just saying like, um, uh, this is an amazing number uh, due to like your anti vaxxers over there as well. It's just wow. In Vietnam, the population that over 18-year-old, 100% people who can't take the vaccines took the vaccine. So it's like amazing number because we like we we a we bunch of socialists so we just take the freaking vaccines you know hundred uh, percent of over 18 year old population took the vaccines and uh, we are now just just a survey to ask uh, we are now v- vietnam is now doing the survey form to ask for people about the vaccines for children from 5 to 12 year old something like that and about 78% people say that say they, will, they will take the vaccines for their children. So it's the thing is that like, even though they, we do know that there are small chances of having like side effects of vaccines, but like all vaccines are like that. So like, it is a thing that we expected. And we take, we agree to take the vaccine because we, we care about other people. We want the whole society to be vaccinated. Because we know that there are people who cannot take the vaccine because of their, you know, their health problem. And we want to take the vaccine so we can save those people too. So it's just like a small part but important number of society of Vietnam right now. And and yeah, I do have a way higher hope to Vietnamese people than like anti vaxxers over there. I just like We Vietnamese, whenever we heard news about like freedom convoy and like anti vaccine, Foxer protests, anti mass protests, we were just like, wow, what's wrong? Like, what's wrong with you guys? Like, why are you acting like this?
0: It's the privilege of having always had the availability of vaccines, of always having a medical, you know, and healthcare. system that more or less if you're white and a male you're probably going to be all right so that because that's who's leading these movements is they try to paint themselves as working class movements and some people on the left w- will want to give me some flack for this shit, but it, it, it's not a working class movement when people can take months off of work to go protest vaccines they have food You know, they have these big ass guns, they have Nazi flags that how can you call that even if it was in any way, shape or form, you know, populated by a certain amount of working class people, you cannot characterize a movement as such as working class, if you truly understand what that means, because what is being built there is another level Exploitation and repression; these people are being taken advantage of, and in a way that like can only happen in a society that has been predicated on the thievery and pillaging of other nations for its own benefits. This mm-hmm. is the only reality where this fucking makes sense. Because <laughs> if we look, let's 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 point to a revolutionary to maybe mention uh, in in this situation. If we look to someone like Thomas Sankara, right? In the 80s, in Burkina Faso, formerly Upper Volta, nobody had vaccines, not for AIDS, not for malaria, not for smallpox, not for anything, flu, nothing. Nobody had vaccines. One of the first missions, one of the first things they did, they took almost all of the funds that went towards government, transportation, luxury, et cetera, siphoned that into food and healthcare programs. It's that simple. Boom. Guess what? Now, all of a sudden, almost 80 percent of the population in two years was vaccinated on things that I and most American children had vaccines for at 18 months or at 36 months. Like, that's what privilege gets you, is the ability to read the bullshit that these people read and not being able to critically analyze that because you don't have to fucking care. Yeah. If someone else dies, it's, it's invisible. Vijay Prashad, one last thing I'll mention because he's a comrade. Yeah. Vijay Prashad did an amazing speech at the People's Forum where he yeah. spoke about the fact that 2.7 billion people suffer from malnutrition and hunger and die every single year. Like that's a reality. People within that are every single year suffering from that issue, a lack of food they're invisible to everyone within these imperialist core countries, except for, you know, maybe when a commercial comes on TV and they're like, donate a few cents and it makes you feel sad and you post on Twitter, God, I wish they'd stop making those commercials come on. So I feel bad, you know, and, and you just live in a world where you really, again, you can allow for misinformation For, uh, you know, real forces of repression to be rampant in not only your own nation, but across the world. And all you condemn is the people trying to fight for their liberation. All you condemn, even leftists, socialists, supposed communists, right? As far back as Marx, Engels, Lenin. We're doing this thing where the defense of the fatherland. Or this idea of you know um, empirical or empire expansion, you know you know uh, or this idea of elitism that because we have brought civilization to the world, something that the French imperialists supposedly brought to Vietnam, which of course, the Vietnamese people said, no, thank you. Um, it is clear that it is this understanding that. These folks are supposedly superior, and these folks are supposedly inferior. Fred Hampton talks about it. Kwame Ture talks about it. Marx, Engels, Lenin, Stalin, Mao, Ho Chi Minh, all of them talk about it. You cannot have a world that is truly equal when there are those who are exploiters and there are those that are exploited. So if we live within the imperial core, I keep trying to press this. We have a genuine responsibility to the world. And it's not to say, like, oh, here comes the US saving the world once more. No, it's actually the opposite. It's time for us to reap what we've sowed. You know, we've allowed this society, US imperialism, US empire to fester, to destroy the world. And we've watched and we've tweeted and we've, you know, made petitions and we've had webinars. we haven't fucking organized we haven't been out in the goddamn streets demanding that people come together that we start feeding one another we saw a little seed of it right in the beginning of the pandemic but we're not seeing it anymore the government doesn't care the mass media the corporate media does not care the corporations do not care and it's very clear that the only people that are going to be able to do anything about this are the exploited and oppressed masses within what we call the United States. If we actually want to be able to give colonized and imperialized people elsewhere the ability to do the same in their own countries, we have 800 plus military bases across the world. If we're actively fighting for a revolution here, they can't all be there. That's pretty important. Um, And so I think that one thing that I try to focus on and have been trying to focus on lately is the need to like, fucking
1: organized
0: so speaking of which you know one of the questions look into the global south in Asia, Africa, Latin America and the Caribbean what is it and this is a great question I think you're going to do a great job answering what is it that white or western communists seem to miss why is it that you feel that folks focus so specifically on Marx, Engels, Lenin, Stalin and Mao without ever branching out into Ho Chi Minh, Kwame Nkrumah, uh, Walter Rodney, Maurice Bishop, Fidel Castro, and plenty of others. Do you think it's pure ignorance, racism, or some combination or something else? And can we blame the people or what must we blame ourselves as communists within this country and the ruling class?
1: Um, yeah, this is a very good question. and. Me and my partner, EJ, been talking about this a lot, about like, I just asked you today, like, why don't people over there know about Ha Ming? They didn't even know that Ha Ming wrote his whole life until the day he died. Like, just like his whole completed, like the whole Ha Minh's completed work is like 15, like, 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 like books and each book is like five, like, like two inches, like thick at least. It's just, I got
0: it from Foreign Language Press, the first edition of his selected works. It's fucking huge. Continue. I'm sorry <laughs> for interrupting you.
1: <laughs> it's huge. It's really huge, and it, um the thing is that this. Israel um, told me about this, and I found it very interesting. Ho Chi Minh and Ho Chi Minh taught lots of Westerners they don't like about it because. Ho Chi Minh thought is supposed to be about Vietnam and for Vietnam in that period of time only. So, so it is like, uh, my partner told me that like, he's a US American. So he said that, like, because Western leftists, they do not want to do the work. They just want to read <laughs> yeah. things that's like already written by them and for them. And not like in a very broad term, that they do not want to do real job out there. So it means like if they acknowledge the writing of Fidel Castro, Kwame Ture, and um, Ho Chi Minh and Mao, you know, they would know that the mission of the working class of each country, of each society, is to study the spirit of Marxism and then to apply it into their own reality so they can have their own set of maximalism that is for the society only. And it is hard, it is a hard job and it requires a lot of effort and time to work on this. So they don't want to acknowledge that. They just want to read the, the big words from Marx and Lenin from 200 years ago and then be happy with it. and they call themselves communist or revolutionary without learning the fact that reading the books is just the first step the more important the bigger step is to apply those theories into practice and then from that practice you can revise have a new theory that you then you can go again and apply it to practice it's like a feedback loop theory and practice should be like a feedback loop where you constantly work together with the purpose of changing the world and another thing is like yes It's racism. It's racism. They're like Kwame Ture, Ho Chi Minh Mao, they're not white. They were all not white. And Fidel Castro, too. So, like, oh, what's the point of listening to non white people? You know, they're inferior. They don't have anything to listen to, worth listening to. It is racism that those people are not willing or be very skeptical when they start, like, listening to non-white people like that i mean who to blame first i blame the education system the indoctrination system actually i i don't want to call it education system because it's it's truly indoctrination system it is a ruling class that that shaped you this day that they they, they fed you and they made you like this but i also blame the working class because because you you don't break through that. You don't want to break your chain. You just keep leaving, want to, 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 to leave in that kind of indoctrination because like it's like an, a, a, a comfort zone for you. But once you get out of it, the reality just slap into your face. And many of you cannot deal with that. It's just like, okay, go back to. The sphere that I feel safe is the indoctrination, fear will make America great against fear. And like, mm. yeah, I'm happy that I I don't want to name any names, but I do see, I did see a bunch of people that I consider to be leftists, to be communists, to be my comrades. They went back to their comfort zone of being like conservative, of being like American patriots, like mm. racism, like that. And like they like, they, they were so okay before and I consider them comrades, but now they just act exactly like a bunch of racist, right-wingers that I've been dealing with for years. It's sad, it's, it, 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 it is sad. And I. this is a reality that, I, that we have to accept. We have to learn to understand why it happens like that and try to find a solution to stop that from happening. So, yeah.
0: Fantastic answer. I, um, I feel like for, and we talked about like privilege and like kind of growing up in a reality where you don't really have to care, um, folks need to realize, and you know, I, I think that this is something that anybody, anybody within the Imperial core can be victim of. Racism need not always be explicit and conscious. Like Racism is also very implicit. You can be ignorant that it's a racist thing and you can be actively being racist without quote-unquote knowing that's what you're doing because that's what the Imperial Corps wants. That's what our indoctrination system teaches us. I mean, all the eugenics, the um, racism, the different kinds of projects that were developed within... Uh, you know, uh, the U.S. state were used in these countries that we condemn, like Nazi Germany and other places. And we call those places fascist. We call those places, you know, uh, quote unquote evil. But we never point the finger back here at the home where it comes from. Israel gets most of its funding and its guns from the U.S. empire. Saudi Arabia gets most of its guns and its funding from the U.S. empire. Canada and other countries within Europe gets most of their guns and funding from NATO and the U.S. Empire. Because as we have heard uh, a lot of great people pointing out, NATO is in effect U.S. Empire. NATO is the tool by which the United States controls this certain region and, of course, is expanding forward. NATO is um,
1: just a puppet for USA, yes. If you the vast majority of Vietnamese people well, yeah, know that fact, yes. And it's incredible
0: that so many socialists and communists don't, uh, you know, it, like you said, um, I watched, you know, the last few weeks, it's, it's been difficult having conversations with folks um, because there's an ongoing conflict. So there's misinformation and propaganda everywhere. I've been seeing tweets like, hey, uh, react to this and tell me how many deaths there has been in this conflict to let me know what level of propaganda you're at. And there's like millions of different fucking answers about how many people have died, where the conflict is at. And it's just incredible to see in real time, what revolutionaries and communists uh, throughout history have had to actively deal with and organize through. And if so many people want to focus on these revolutionaries like Marx, Engels and Lenin, Um, and Stalin one thing that they did was they took the situation like the one we're in now and they built communism they built scientific socialism they organized they fought back fascism and they fed and taught and you know housed the masses and so I think that one thing that I I really want to see going forward is like for example even content creators um, I would really love it if we didn't always do, like, uh, here's the history of such and such, or here's the history of this event, which I know is funny because we started this episode talking about the Vietnamese Revolution. But anyways, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that also taking the history and bringing it forward, learning from it, actually, like, comparing it to now and trying to apply lessons is one of the most important tools that we can have In our toolkit, that's a part of dialectical materialism, historical materialism, but also like what we would consider like praxis, like you take, again, you take the ideas and you apply them. Um, So I think one of the last questions I wanted to ask you is, what is one thing looking forward that you expect or really want to begin seeing in like movements across the globe? Um, What is it that really seems to be, like, I don't want to say necessarily missing, but what are some things that you might like to see, like, come to the fore? And uh, what do you think that we all must be doing in our organizations, parties, and workplaces to try to work towards solving all of the contradictions we're facing?
1: Um, Okay, so um, from the global south, especially, like, the regions like Latin America, I do really want... To see I do hope that the working class over there can rise up and have a successful like socialist or communist movement because I've been seeing things going on in Chile, Bolivia, Peru, you know. And this year is gonna be the election of Brazil on November. So I do hope that there's gonna be some big change in the Latin America about the imperial core. I um uh, my the thing is that like the The priority that you should deal with right now is as i said fight against false consciousness and racism and individualism because those are the things that are keeping you separated from the working class from the movement those are the things that stop you from seeing the real like the reality of society, the, choose, the true nature of capitalism. That is a very big thing that you have to fight. You have to break through that before you can have any actual movement. Another thing is that, like I encourage people, if you can, you know, Mark said, like, form each according to your abilities to each according to your needs. Just, if you can, go out there and organize, do mutual aid build dual power structure. And even if you have a dollar, please donate it to the organization like Food Bank, Food Not Bombs, Social Rifle Association, all kinds of organization like that to actual those people who are helping the working class. And if you cannot go outside and you have any health problem, that's totally fine. I hope you to educate yourself to go read more the works of non-white people, Kwame Ture, Mao, Ho Chi Minh, Fidel Castro, many other people too, you know, and try to 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 to, to grab your head around the the new concept of the actual socialism. People who really a- attempt like trying to do socialism in their society and try to learn something from it, educate yourself, and if you have a time, go educate other people. Try to, like, 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 maybe if you can, try to bring your voice out there to the world. And, yeah, that is my advice for you and I th- I, the things that I hope that I can see in the future.
0: That's incredible, comrade. Thank you for the hope and the inspiration and the great words. Um, in, in leaving us, um, first of all, Uh, Always open invitation to come back on. It was a lovely time speaking with you. I really learned a lot and always do from you. Uh, So I appreciate that. Um, Do you have any like last thoughts or things that you would like to mention book suggestions or content suggestions? Uh, And also, uh, would you please plug all of the incredible things that you are doing? Uh, and allow the folks to know where to go find the stuff that you are uh, involved in?
1: Uh, Sure, I would love to do that. Um, uh, About uh, my final thoughts, the thing is that I know the world is a really bad place right now, plus the pandemic is still going on. I know that it's very easy for you to get tired, get frustrated, and want to just go back to their shelves, you know, Turn your back away from the world. But the thing is that like we as revolutionary, we have to keep our revolutionary um, optimism. That is very important. This is a thing that Ho Chi Minh wrote extensively about. Revolutionary optimism means that we still have to find hope in the darkest night, in the coldest night. And my, uh, my, 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 my message for you is to stay safe, stay strong, keep fighting and know that you are not alone. Okay, there are still hundreds of thousands, millions of people out there who understand you and who want to fight with you. The point is that we must like find a way to connect to our comrades who, you know, want to do that with you. just, yeah, we are not alone and do not feel frustrated or like, you know, want to give up. Never give up. And that is very important to have revolutionary optimism. Uh, book suggestion. Uh, Yes, I, I said, try to find books and books and articles written by non-white communists and socialists. That would like open your mind a lot about... What like non-white people have been doing out there, and our theories, and hopefully you can learn something from it. Another book recommendation is uh, like my book about my textbook about dialectical materialism is done, and maybe mm. in the next two weeks, uh, because like everything is done, the editing team is doing the final, you know, t- like typeset for it. So hopefully in the next two weeks it will be finally launch. So I hope that you can like check it out. And this is a thing that like, this is just like book for um, a book for like newcomer, for beginners. If you want to wrap your head around the concept of dialectical materialism and the basic understanding of dialectical materialism uh, and uh, maximum Leninism too. This is a book, the textbook for millions of Vietnamese students in universities. And we've been using it for, I don't know, 20 years, something like that, for like 2008. So, um, I do hope and I do believe that this book will help you to have some basic and correct understanding of this very complicated ideology, which is uh, dialectical materialism in Marxism Leninism. And in the future, I will, of course, I will do. Uh, I would translate historical materialism, social, uh, scientific socialism, and also political economy. So please stay tuned.
0: You're doing incredible work, comrade. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Please feel free to reach out whenever, and I hope that you have a lovely day. Um, we'll speak to you soon, all right? Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. You have a great rest of your day.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It is a great talk and hopefully that uh, I can we can like have another talk soon
0: yeah I would love that yeah bye everybody Uh, (laughs) bye